This episode of Awards Chatter is brought to you by Universal Television, presenting Girls 5 Eva. Girls 5 Eva follows a one-hit wonder 90s girl group who attempts a comeback while hilariously navigating family and relationships, plus the joys and pains of middle age. The show stars Sarah Bareilles, Renee Elise Goldsbury, Paula Pell, and Busy Phillips. Don't miss the series critics call the funniest show on television. Girls 5 Eva is now streaming on Netflix and is for your Emmy consideration for Outstanding Comedy Series and all other eligible categories. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply. <laughs> Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the 329th episode of Awards Chatter, a Hollywood Reporters Awards podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and my guest today is one of Hollywood's brightest young stars, a 23-year-old who has quietly been doing outstanding work for over a decade on both the small screen, on TV series like FX's Justified and Fox's, formerly ABC's, Last Man Standing, and on the big screen in films like Destin Daniel Credden's Short Term 12 Jason Reitman's Men, Women, and Children, and Catherine Bigelow's Detroit. But who, over the past year, took things to a whole nother level as a co-lead with Beanie Feldstein of the film Booksmart, Olivia Wilde's feature directorial debut and an instant comedy classic, and as the lead of the Netflix limited series Unbelievable, a rip from the headline show created by Susanna Grant, Ayelet Waldman, and Michael Chabon that was watched by 32 million people in its first month on the streaming service. Both of her projects were included on Barack Obama's list of personal favorites of 2019. The former landed her a BAFTA Award nomination in the EE Rising Star category, and the latter resulted in Golden Globe and Critics' Choice Award nominations for Best Actress in a Limited Series or TV Movie. I'm talking, of course, about Caitlin Deaver. Over the course of our conversation, Deaver and I discussed the odds-defying breaks that led her to Hollywood and the TV collaborators who helped to learn the ropes once she arrived, the tricks of the trade that she learned from her various film projects, how Booksmart, for which she had years to prepare and Unbelievable, for which she had barely any time to prepare at all, changed the way that she looks at her work and at life overall, plus much more. And so, with great thanks to Caitlin, with a plea to our listeners to stay home, and without further ado, let's go to that conversation. All right, Caitlin, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Good to have you. I guess to begin with, let me ask, where and how are you weathering this insanity? I am at my parents. Um, I live at home, and I'm so grateful to be with family during this time. I don't know. I don't know how I would be if I were just alone with my thoughts. Um, (laughs) So we are, you know, we're spending days by the pool and watching movies together. And I'm able to write a lot with my sister. And yeah, it's been good. It's been good. 
Good. And we should just note you and your sister, I, I'm assuming you're referring to the music that you guys make together. You have a band, right? Yes, we do. We do. Okay. Well, I guess on this podcast, what we really do every episode is go back to the beginning of each guest's life and try to connect the dots. So just truly at the beginning, where were you born and raised and what do what did your parents do at that time for a living? I was born in Arizona. I was born in Phoenix and my parents were figure skaters and they grew up figure skating. They would compete and uh, <laughs> they went on to coach um, figure skating and mm -hmm. I was born in Arizona and then we moved to Texas when I was, I think they told me I was almost two, if not two already, because mm -hmm. um, my sister Maddie had been born and we're pretty close in age. And my the reason why we moved to Texas was because my dad got the job for to, to be the voice of Barney. That is pretty cool. <laughs> and it's uh, it's kind of, it's super, I love telling their story because I, I think it's kind of random, you know, going from figure skating and then doing voice acting. But yeah, my, my dad just, you know, got this random call from a, or he, he just heard randomly from a friend that they were doing a, a nationwide search for the new voice of Barney. And my dad ended up just randomly getting it. So that's what moved us to Texas. And... I pretty much consider Texas my my home, my hometown. I lived in the colony, Texas mm -hmm. is where I grew mm -hmm. up. Um, and it was the best place to grow up. I'm so I'm so glad that I grew up there. There's Texas really really shaped me and who I am as a person today. So it was I have a very very like awesome childhood that I think back on a lot. Yeah. Well, prepping for this, I obviously, uh, you know, read everything I can find about our guests. And one of the things that I came upon was that probably like most children, you had a lot of different hobbies and interests and stuff. But there was something that maybe you didn't stick with very many of them. But acting was the exception. Why was that? What was it about acting that even as a kid in Dallas hooked you? Yeah, I my my family, you know, I I remember doing a lot of different activities, um, as you do growing up, you know, you get, you know, you start doing gymnastics and ballet and soccer and soccer, soccer, playing soccer was one for me that I actually, one activity that I actually really, really enjoyed. And I still kind of miss, but with acting, I think the reason why it hooked me was because I finally was able to get a fix on this like constant urge to make people laugh or be someone that I'm not all the time. And I was able to do that in acting classes, even though I remember thinking like, I love doing this so much. I love going to acting classes. This is just, I, I remember even coming home from the first acting class that I took in Texas. I remember thinking like, oh my, I, I just remember coming and telling my mom it was the best day ever. It was just, I, I've never, I've never had so much fun in my life. And, but it always made me so nervous. It, it genuinely made me like, it was a nerve wracking thing for me. But I think that I was so nervous because I actually 
cared and I never used to get nervous. And so I, I think I like lived off of the, the nerves of it, but also just being able to make people laugh and, and perform at such a young age was something that I just loved immediately. It sounds like Dallas Young Actor Studio was, was that the place you're referring to where you had initially started? Yeah, it is. And what was the, I mean, at that age, what age are we talking about here that you were there? Probably what, like six, seven, eight? No, I was actually, I think I was, yeah, I think I was closer to nine. I think I was eight going on nine because then I went, I think I stayed at Dallas Young Actor Studio. I took classes there for about a year and they had a showcase of of agents come come and watch kids do monologues and I I think I remember doing a a Skittles monologue and uh it's and then you know that on from there then the story continues from there but yeah I did Dallas Young Actor Studio it was the coolest it was the coolest place ever to to learn all of just I guess the basics and everything you need to know. I actually, they have this whole sitcom setup in their, in their studio, which was pretty, pretty cool. It was, I loved going there. I took it very, I I remember taking it very, 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 very seriously. And I thought, you know, when we would put on shows for our parents and parents would come down and watch like a, an episode of a sitcom that we would put mm-hmm. together. It would be like some serious business for me. And I took it very, very seriously. And I remember one time a video that still even haunts me to this day. <laughs> we were doing a live, like it was like they were saying, okay, you know, they were teaching us about the idea that that whatever happens in a show, the show must go on. You cannot you cannot break. You cannot do it. You just have to keep going, whatever happens. And um, they, so they were tell they were really telling us this is live, and you're doing it in front of people. And I remember I was the first one to come in, and I I had to burst through the door, and I had some exciting news, and I burst through the door, and I'm in the living room, and I remember I had I had just broken my arm too, <laughs> really doing well. First with me, me <laughs> slicing my finger today, and I, I broke my arm. And I had this cast and I was running in and I ran in and I tripped so bad. I tripped so hard. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember turning beet red and it's all on camera. They were filming it like a sitcom. And I remember being so beet red and just going, what should I do? And I decided that the best thing to do was to turn to camera and say, sorry, <laughs> and then continue the scene. And still, I my, my parents keep that video just to play every once in a while. And it really is just, <laughs> it still haunts me. And that is the biggest memory I have of Dallas Young Actors Studio. And it's a good memory, you know. I So was it, well, I don't know if this was the acting showcase that you were referring, referring to a moment ago, but... There was one day at some point where I guess really it was it was a life changing thing where agents show up and say what? They show up. They saw me do a couple of monologues and this one agent in particular took me and my parents aside and said, we think, you know, we want to we want to represent her and we want her to come out to L.A. and try auditioning for something. How old were you at that point? I was nine. I think I had, 
I was nine going on 10 because I remember once we came to L.A., I was 10 years old. And so what do your parents make of this? This is a I mean, I guess that's what you kind of were you working towards that or was that even not even on the radar as something that was not even on the radar? I think my parents, you know, after I had complained about gymnastics and ballet and whatever else. And I did. I, I had. I had such a scatterbrain that I that, that I think they thought that oh, this is just another thing that she. Uh, and that's the other thing too. I had been beg. I had been begging to do acting or go to class. I thought acting was something that you could just do. I thought you could just like be on TV like Lizzie McGuire and you know Christy Carlson Romano, the the, the women I grew up watching on TV. <laughs> I thought you could just do it, and you know. So my parents, I think they thought. Yes, I was having a, a good time, but I think that that's just, I think that they had thought it just stopped there. So when they, when this agent approached them, I think they thought, okay, well, this is literally insane. We can't just, <laughs> I don't know what this person expects. We just like, what, drop everything and, and go to LA so she can audition for stuff. But then they, but then I also, I, I always found it funny that I also knew about it. I thought that it would be interesting maybe to just approach the parents. But I, since I knew about it, I was really, really eager and I was constantly talking about it and bringing it up. And my parents were always, and still to this day, um, have always been very, very, very supportive people, but also very realistic. And they're like, well, we want her to live her dream. And she says this, this is her dream and she doesn't want to do anything else with her life. <laughs> and uh, Which that also is shocking to me. I still don't have an answer to that. I, I, I don't know why I knew what I wanted to do at such a young age, but I, I really did. And they, they, you know, they, they just wanted me to, they wanted to support me. And they said, look, like we'll do this. Initially just your mom, right? Both my parents. No, but I mean, in terms of, yeah, coming out, yeah. It was it was initially um, my mom and my sisters actually came with us because we kind of thought, well, we'll just turn it into like a mini or like a an extended vacation, I guess. And this was like pilot season or something. This was pilot season, yeah. yeah, yeah. So the agent said, "Why don't you come out to pilot season and audition for some stuff and see how things go?" and my parents, I remember them telling me, look, Caitlin, we're going to do this. We're going to we're going to try this. But you just have to know that this is going to be extremely difficult and it is not going to be easy. And you are going you are not going to book the first thing you go out on. <laughs> um, and I remember getting an audition for a Mattel Barbie commercial. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember even thinking back on it, such a funny thing. It was such a big, it was so, there were so many people there and I auditioned. I ended up getting a call back and then I got a call like a month later that I had gotten it. So technically it was the first, it was, your it first. was the, I booked the first <laughs> thing I went out on. <laughs> That doesn't happen very often for listeners who don't who don't know how the business. No, works. it does not. <laughs> so, um, and at that point, I guess, or soon afterwards, the rest of the family gets on board, comes, moves, moves with you to LA, or was it sort of back and forth for a while? It was back and forth for a while. It was actually, I the first year or so, I was only auditioning for commercials, and I did a lot of commercials. Then, when I was eleven, I ended up 
doing this, my, my first movie. And after that, things started, I guess, really picking up. But it wasn't until I was 12 that we officially made the move to L.A. But during that time, we were still doing back and forth. My dad would come out with me and then, you know, my sisters would stay home and then we'd switch. It just, it, it, it reached this point where we were like, well, and then it reached a point where we were like, well, actually the entire family really does love LA and there's, you know, LA is just a lot of fun. And, uh, I was also, you know, consistently, I continued to work and, uh, that's when they decided, well, it's just too, too much on the, on the family. So we either need to move back to Texas or we need to, we need to just pick one. So we picked, picked LA. (laughs) Fortunately. Yeah. Well, so I guess let's set the scene for when you're now actually living in LA. First of all, were you now, when did, how did schooling work? Schooling was always very important to my parents Mm-hmm. Not as much to me. I was like, I don't want I don't need to do it. I don't need to do it. Obviously, I didn't really, I didn't really care about school until I got into high school. Then I, mm-hmm. then it became obviously more of a priority. Um, but uh, yeah, my parents were very, very strict about school and making sure that it was always number one on the list and it was never secondary. So schooling was, yeah, I was homeschooled. Mm-hmm. I started homeschooling in fifth, I think it was fifth grade. I started mm-hmm. homeschooling and it was just really just easy. Cause I, I always had either my parents to do school with me or a studio teacher to do school with me. So it was always, it always seemed like a, a very easy thing to juggle school. So there's a number of adjustments that have to have been going on at that point. You've, you've, moved out to LA, you are being schooled in a different way than before, educated in a different way. And then in a not so fun aspect of things that I've read about, it was about that same time, I think, that you had some difficult news that young people should not normally have to deal with just on a personal level. I don't know if you are comfortable getting into that, but I think it must have shaped you a lot. It definitely did. It's actually interesting that you bring that up because it is the first thing I think about. I don't even think about, I don't even remember what I was working on at the time or I, that's all I remember. And I think that that speaks volumes in terms of like what I was dealing with at that age, but also just my entire family and my sisters too. But yeah, it was such a, such a formative like area in my life. It was, uh, 12, I was 12 going on 13. We were living in this house. It was our first house that we were living in, in LA. You know, I think it's, it all, it was, it was, it was a lot. It was a lot. We should say this was something that affected your mom. Yes, yes, yes. So my mom got diagnosed with breast cancer, stage four breast cancer, when I was 12 and she was 39 years old. And it was a very, very scary time for, for me and obviously my entire family and my sister, my, my baby sister who was, and I should say, I have 
two sisters. Mm-hmm. Maddie is the middle one. She's now 21 years old. And my sister Jane is the baby of the family. And at the time, she was only five years old. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of it, I think I, I think I didn't realize how much I, I was going through mentally. Yeah. And I think the one thing that, that allowed me to step away from, from all of it was acting and, and going to work. And, uh, I was able to really find, I guess, relief in, in my life with acting, which is actually, not something I normally, well, I guess acting in general is sort of an, an, it it can be a release in many different ways, but for me in particular during that time, it was definitely, uh, it was something that was just very convenient. I had my, um, my, my grandma actually came and lived with us to just Mm -hmm. help out around the house. And, uh, she was taking me to. She was taking me to work. I was. I now remember what I was working. On. I was working on Justified. Yes, at the time. Which your first really big <laughs> project, right? Your first yeah. notable role. Yeah. I loved Justified, man. It was such a uh, wow. We. I mean, we can get into that, but yeah. yeah. I mean, it was. It. It was a big time in my life. But I. You know. I think we always remember the. You know. I think. The, the hardest moments in life sure. are the ones we remember most and are somewhat beautiful in a way because um, you know you get you get through it somehow but yeah it was it was a lot and just I guess I, I of course have to have to ask is your was your mom okay did she make it through that yeah she's you know she actually had a pet scan today just a couple hours ago she is she's actually all right now she is you know, she went through, she went through five years of remission of being in remission and she, she didn't get anything for five years and we went and celebrated and everything was great. And she hadn't, nothing had come back within those five years, which the doctors say that that's a, a really good sign. Cause then you're cured. But then within that year, they found a, a small, a small amount that came back. So we are now just working to get rid of that at the moment. Mm-hmm. So she's, she is definitely a lot better than, than what she used to be for sure. But it's always a little bit of a, you know, a stressful nerve wracking. Well, I, I, I feel for you actually, because I, at about the same age, my dad had his own cancer diagnosis with a, a different type of melanoma, but it was, um, I know that I found that and I'm also, I think, did you say you're, you're the oldest of the mm-hmm. kids? Yeah. yeah, same with me. And I, I think you do assume, I think it, it's got to really, it makes you grow up faster than you otherwise would have. And I wonder, you know, for, for my, I'm sure it affected me in, in its own way, but I wonder for you, do you think that, you know, you mentioned that acting was a, a sort of a, a release, but do you also think that you channeled what you were going through in your acting, was it? Did it make you a better actor to have experienced so many different crazy emotions at such a young age? I think so. I think. I think definitely, definitely. I remember always sort of hiding the way I actually felt because I, I wanted to, like you said, I had I had two little sisters, and one, you know, my youngest sister didn't even quite under I don't I don't think she even really understood 
how how intense it all was. I don't think she really understood that. So for me, I felt like I had to take the initiative and take charge and and be strong for 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 just them, but also for my mom and for my dad and and doing that for a, a while definitely makes a difference on yeah. you. And I think that that coupled with the fact that I was working with really only adults, my you know my entire teen years, I think it I think it definitely definitely made me grow up a lot faster. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's uh, let's talk about some of the work you were doing while this was going on in the background. And you mentioned Justified. This was playing Loretta, a Kentucky teen who gets into some dark stuff of her own. Yeah. Um, this was from 2011 to 2015, recurring roles that season two, three, five, and six. And um, I guess, you know, just your overall thoughts when you look back at that, but also the person, I, I'm curious what you can say about the person who I think you worked with probably as much as anyone, one of the great character actresses that's out there, and that is Margot Martindale. Margot Martindale is just, will always be, she will always hold such a special, special place in my heart because she just really... um she taught she really taught me what it's like to be so good at what you do and 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 such a good person at the same time and you don't ever have to have an ego at any point and that everyone is is an equal on set and there are you know there are ways to just do your job well and also just be nice <laughs> um and she taught me that and and i was constantly you know there was no just like there was no like really specific pieces of advice that I was getting from en anyone at, uh, at Justified, but being surrounded by constant love and support and genuine, genuine, like just camaraderie and like, and teamwork that was really, really like genuine and came from a place of passion. I mean, it was I really, to this day, Justified is the best job I've I've ever had. I I just I don't know why. I think it I think it was the people though. I mean, yes, I loved playing Loretta. It was it was um, playing that role was such a new thing for me. I had never really explored character work before. I had never gotten to be someone so tough, so young, and that was exciting for me that alone but going to work and just being surrounded by all of all of those people that just really just loved being at work and were constantly joking around i mean it was a dark show too it was a mm -hmm. really dark show it could get really really heavy <laughs> and they were just so much fun all of those people and it literally is my favorite thing in the world to talk about them and, and talk about that show because I just love all of them so much and I'm so grateful that I was able to I was just talking about this to someone the other day who was also on Justified <laughs> and I was just like we were both talking about it so much that I'm like isn't it isn't it just so cool that we're a part of that club? Like, there's not a lot of people that get to be a part of that club. I feel like I'd even be so excited if I had one line on the show. It's just so cool to be a part of the Justified Club. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, it's showing up on lists of all-time greatest shows already, and it hasn't even been off, you know, for, for very long yet. So, uh, But meanwhile, you had a couple other TV projects that started that same year, or at least went on the air that same year, that I have to just at least uh, touch upon 
And the other one was a very different kind of show, sitcom. You're playing Eve Baxter, the daughter of Tim Allen's character on Last Man Standing. This was a main role from seasons one through six, and then it's been recurring since then. I think you were 13 when you started on that, and I want to ask you about you've you mentioned that you had a little bit of this simulated sitcom experience in Dallas, which was <laughs> interesting. But now you're literally having to do this in front of an audience, which must to some degree feel like theater, except that you're having to learn new lines every day or whatever, however often, right? Yes, it was so cool being being cast in that show. Um, the, the The process from the very beginning was just cool. I, you know, I remember I went in for my audition and then I got a call back and then I did this thing like the, the network tests yes. that you go to <laughs> and you have to sign, you know, the next seven years, you know, the next seven years um, uh, that day before you go in and do your network test. And uh, all of it was so, so exciting. And it was, again, it was so new. I was experiencing so many new things at that time in my life. It was a lot of, I think it was being overstimulated with the amount of things that were going on. Yeah. Now yeah. that I'm like really thinking about it, there was a lot, a lot, a lot going on. But again, I, I doing that show is again so much of an escape for me, and uh, it was such a surprisingly looking back on on it, it was such a huge learning experience for me. I mean, Justify definitely was, but I think that Last Man Standing was really a, a really big one, and I say that because I I gained so much confidence on that show. And I used to be, you know, kind of afraid to improv. I wasn't really confident because I felt like, oh, what if what if it's not funny or they might get angry if if I say something extra or whatever it, it you know, whatever it, it on that show, I was able to really just trust my own instincts and to realize that like people love it when you when you riff people really enjoy you know authenticity and and they even love it the crowd like when you do the sitcom the live audience like they love it when you laugh too and it's yes. okay to break <laughs> it's okay to like break and have a good time and just it really just taught me to be really loose and and it relaxed me a bit and i think it was because of you know, the, the, the advice Tim Allen was giving me combined with the repetition of it all, you know, it was just the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. And doing the table reads every Wednesday, we still do them every Wednesday. When I go back, it's Wednesday, mm -hmm. 10 AM. And having that kind of routine coupled with the fact that I, then I started doing, that's when I started high school. And all of it was just, it worked out so great doing that show. And then they allowed me to do, you know, film on the side. And I'm just really grateful for that show. I'm, I'm, they were so, and, and they're so, they're, they're like my second family over there. They're really just, they were just the best. Yeah. I mean, it's been a presence in your life. I guess that would be for almost 10 years. That's a unusually long yeah. <laughs> period for, for a young person to have been involved with something. But yeah. the, uh, the third of the 2011 TV places where people might have seen you on TV. This is a much shorter relationship than you had with the other shows, but it was just 
the one episode. I'm not sure what you're gonna say. Oh, <laughs> I don't know no, what it's is, gonna be. <laughs> is, I rewatched it last night because I remembered it, and I just wanted to make sure it was as funny as I remembered, and it is. And that is your one appearance. Uh, curb your enthusiasm. Yes. <laughs> and uh, let's just be, let me set it up and then ask you to take it away. But basically, you are a playing a Girl Scout who visits Larry David <laughs> to try to sell some cookies, and while in his doorway, experiences her first period, which obviously, as always on Curb Your Enthusiasm, leads to plenty of delightful awkwardness. So, what was you know just you talk about improv and probably coming in and, and being funny. Talk about that one. Yes. I remember getting the audition. I would take my auditions very seriously. Also, I would always, I would, most of the time I would, I would dress, dress the part. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would go out with my mom and, and find, if I didn't have like a Girl Scout thing, I'd go and find something that looked like one. I took it, I took my auditions very seriously. And I remember like Googling Girl Scout cookie names because I was never a Girl Scout. Um, mm-hmm. And I didn't, I, I wanted to know all of the names because I thought that they had like really funny. And I, it would be funny if I knew, if I could just sit there and list all of them. And I did. And I went in for my audition and uh, it was extremely scary. You know, Larry David was in the audition room. And they wanted me to improv right then and there. And I, I remember Jeff Garland being in there. And it was just like, it, it was very nerve wracking. Um, <laughs> then I ended up getting it. And, the, and and I remember all of that moved very quickly. A, a lot, I'd get onto set sometimes and things would just move so, so quickly. And then some other days it would be like, I'd be sitting in, in school for five hours and not get called until, you know, six hours after my call time or whatever. But like sometimes it would move really, really fast. So with that, I I actually learned not to get so settled so quickly. Like I think that any, basically I learned that anything can happen in a second. So with that, they just sort of like put me on. I remember it it, it just, I, I, I met, Jeff and I, I was reintroduced to Larry David and then they put me behind the door and they shut the door and they said, okay, let's go. And it was very, <laughs> it was very much like you, like you see it in the movies when they're like, you know, reenacting a movie in a, within a movie. They're like, okay, and this is the, this is the, <laughs> this is Hollywood. This is how it goes. And it's literally what it felt. I'm like, oh, Hollywood's too fast for me. <laughs> and, um, and I remember they shut the door and I was like, Oh, and I was just like going over everything in my head and I was thinking, wait a second. I don't know. I, I like if I want to refer to him, like who does he play on the show? I had never seen the show. I don't think right. I was allowed uh. to watch the show. <laughs> <laughs> and I had never seen the show. So I was like, Ugh, well, what's his name on the show? And I remember turning to one of the camera guys who was behind me. I think we were rolling already. And I said, does he play? Does he play Larry on the show? Is his name Larry on the show? <laughs> Right before I had to go in. Um, And then it was like done. I remember doing like two, two or three takes, totally improv. And then, uh, and then it was done. And that was hilarious. It was the best. It was so fun. It was so fun. (laughs) So you mentioned that it was around that same time that you were, I think, starting to be allowed to go and do movies as well. And, and one of them, 
I, I'm going to mention, you know, some of these early things you're working for Clint Eastwood and Jay Edgar, which is, uh, uh, that must've been pretty, I don't know if you knew who Clint Eastwood was. I mean, that might, but it, it would be intimidating if you did. Yeah. I mean, it was intimidating because I think Clint Eastwood's name just alone, you know, I mean, I hadn't at that point, I, I don't, I think I had, I don't know if I had seen any of his films yet, but just, I knew it was, I knew it was a big deal. That was, that was a crazy time as well. Yeah. That was one of the early ones. Another one spectacular now. You're the, just to remind folks, I guess first we should say in Jay Edgar, you were the attorney general's daughter in the spectacular now for James Ponsell. You're the best friend of this character who's played by Shailene Woodley, who gets into some hot water. You're the very protective best friend. But the first one where I remember really noticing and being blown away by you was Short Term 12, which like anyone who saw that when it came out in 2013, you know, it, it was just, you you knew that this entire cast was going to go on to very big things. And here we are not even, you know, I guess seven years later. And it's true. This was the breakout role for Brie Larson, Rami Malek, Lakeith Stanfield, and yourself, and uh, one of the breakout roles for you. And I, I just, I wonder how you first heard about it and when you did, if, if it was clear even on the page that this was going to be a really special one. Yeah, I knew immediately when I read that script that it was, that it was special. I didn't know that, you know, the, Im- I didn't, I, I didn't realize the impact it would have on people at the time. I did know that it was special and I knew that when I met Destin that he was a very special person and that it was a story that was that was very important to him. So all of that put together, I knew that it was going to be something really really incredible. I remember it was the one of the hardest auditions I've had to do still. It's it it was <laughs> It was, it's not easy being in a small, confined space in front of, you know, a, cam- a, a guy working the camera, the casting director, and the director. And then you have to do these, you know, heartbreaking scenes, these, these in, just, just dr- emotionally draining scenes. Just we should on- say for listeners that you're playing this girl, Jaden, who was among many young people, teenagers in this group facility being counseled by also very young people, but just a few years older. And I mean, one of one of the things that emerges from this, and I'm guessing this maybe was even the scene that they had you audition for, I don't know. But the one, when I think of that movie and your character, you and Brie Larson are sitting in a room and you asked to share a story about that you've written about an octopus. And it, it basically, she reads between the lines that you have been through some very bad things. And so I I don't know if that was the scene they had you do, but that's the one that, that stays with me the most. Yeah, it stays with me too. And it is the scene that I did um, for my audition. That and the um, the melt, Jaden's meltdown. There is also a moment in the, in the film where she has a pretty, a pretty bad breakout scene. And it's, it is involved, it involved a lot of, screaming and and crying and yelling and name calling and it was it was it was a lot and those two were I think I had three I can't remember my third scene but those two were in my audition and I also remember getting that story and I remember 
I don't I don't like to use my sides in auditions. And I also it didn't have I, I had gotten the scene like I think it was right they had added that scene right before my callback. So I the wrote it I wrote it scene. down. I wrote it down on a piece of paper, kind of like Jaden has in, in the in the movie, and I put it in my pocket and then I pulled it out and I read from it. And um it was yeah, it was definitely the hardest audition I've ever had to do in my life. And then then the the movie itself was I remember it being such a family oriented set and such a there was so much love on that set and there was such a good positive energy given given the material that we were doing every day it was still just a a really nice place to to go to work at and it was really weird for me to go from the sitcom I was literally going they let me the sitcom was so awesome they let me go from shooting the show like Wednesday through Friday to then shooting short term short term on on the weekends wow and then I'd go back to the sitcom on Monday Tuesday and that's when we did our our tape nights and then I'd and then I on our hiatus weeks I would shoot short term 12 but I shot I remember I think I shot all of my my scenes in 14 days I think for me it was a 14 day shoot I think total it may have been a like a little more than 20 days, 24, 20, I can't remember, but it was a short shoot really quick. And you would think that that would make things like super high stress and, and intense and, and high strong. And, and it wasn't, and I think it was all because of Destin, our director and how, how much of a calm, calm soul he is. He's just so calm. He's just the sweetest guy in the world and he was always so supportive of everyone and and he's the best. I mean it was such a really just an amazing group of people and I'm so happy for everything they're doing now. It's crazy to see yeah. where everyone has has gone. They've gone on to do just such amazing things. Well, if people haven't seen it yet, I hope they turn, you know, leave this podcast when it's over and go and check it out immediately. I think it's on Netflix now, but certainly can be tracked down. And, you know, my, my testament to it is that when I have industry related friends who I need to give a gift to, I I bought a bunch of copies of DVDs where it's like my 10 favorite movies of the 21st century. And it's sort of like a little gift. That's an amazing gift. Uh, You know, it's, I, I, I didn't know what else to do. And I, but anyway, short term 12 is always in that. And I, I think people will feel that way. But it does seem like after starting with that movie and ever since, a lot of your films have, have dealt with social issues, just, you know, issues plaguing society. And I wonder if that is purely coincidental or did you come out of that feeling, you know, movies can be more than just entertaining. Maybe I should, maybe I, I like telling stories that can in in their own way make a difference. Do you think it's a causal thing? Yeah, I think for me, it's that, that, that the interest in doing that started with short term 12, but really, you know, since I, since I've done unbelievable, I have really been thinking about that. I mean, I think about it a lot, just the, you know, I think about the reason why I wanted to be an actor in the first place and you know, obviously I want to do acting because I just 
love it. And I just have so much fun with it. It's just literally just a fun, fun thing for me to do. And I have so much passion for it. But if I'm able to do something fun and do some good and, 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 you know, give a voice to the voiceless or be a part of telling a story that was somewhat buried, all of that combined together is just so much more than I could ever dream of. So yeah, it's definitely even, even, I mean, it's that, that interest began with short-term 12, but then even since, since then it's just increased and I want to continue to be a part of stories like that, stories yeah. that deserve to be told. And as, as I ask you about a few of these others that were in between short-term 12 and unbelievable, I think we'll, you know, listeners will see that it comes up again. I mean, men, women, and children for Jason Reitman, which was a year after short-term 12, 2014, has its own look at the ways we in society are affected (laughs) by the internet in different ways. And I wonder, I guess, your experience working with him as someone who had had a lot of success working with another teen in Juno with Ellen Page just a few years before. But also, I think it was on that project from what I've read that you started doing something that you do on every project since that may involve music. Yeah. I was just on on Zoom last night with Jason. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. He he gets friends together to play Zoom games, this game called Code Names. So he's been <laughs> he's been inviting <laughs> me to play Code Names and it's been so much fun. It's so <laughs> exciting to do in quarantine. Jason is is and forever will be one of my greatest supporters and friends. He's just literally the just the greatest I know. I could I could really talk about him all day. He's um he's ever since men, women and children from that moment on, I I it, you know, I've really really looked up to him. But I also I I know that I can I can go to him with anything, with any question, and he will be there. And that's something that I think is, you know, with all the craziness with, that that comes with being involved in the industry, it's just it's really really incredible to know that like he's got my back and I've got his. And I don't know, I I just I just really admire him and I think he's the best. But on that movie in particular was the first time I realized how helpful music can be in character development. And I would have never thought of that if it weren't for Jason. And I have, you're right, I have used that method every single time now for character development. And I remember. Is it, it just email. sort of like a playlist for a character? Yeah. That- I, I mean, he, he emailed the entire cast and said, what is your, what is your character's favorite song? What, what do you think your character's favorite song would be right now? And I think that that is so, it's so incredible to think about. I had never even thought about that. And it's true. If, if, if I were to think about the song that I'm listening to nonstop right now, it's sort of in, just, just it would describe how I'm feeling right now and 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 where I'm at mentally and and I think that it so so yeah I've I've since then I have created playlists for every character that I that I do and it's so helpful so helpful. Let's go to the next big movie, which I think would maybe be Detroit as one yeah. of a couple of young women who are young white women who are found with a couple of young black men at the Algiers Motel on the night when Detroit 
really blows up basically. And this was directed by Catherine Bigelow coming off of the Hurt Locker and and Zero Dark Thirty and just amazing stuff. A, working with a female director. I'm not sure that's something that had happened for you before. And B, on a pretty intense shoot. Anything that you take away from that one? Yeah, I have, I've, I was so excited to work with another woman. I've, I just have to give a shout out to Lynn Shelton. She's also one of the greats. Laggies. She's amazing. I love her so, so much. So I was definitely excited to work with, I'm always, I'm always, I'm always excited to work with women. I need to work with more and more and more women. Catherine Bigelow is just like Catherine Bigelow. I mean, it's just, it's just, what else do you need to say? Um, she is, she literally floats through set. And especially, it, it, it was so shocking to me being on the set of, of Detroit and just her her sense of calm was so infectious and it was just so helpful to be around that kind of energy. And that that was that was a very intense very very intense shoot but it was always a good time with the, with the entire cast cuz we would try to you know escape you know a hard day's work and just sort of like go out at night we were shooting in boston and it was i mess I, I met my best friend on that shoot and it was just it that was such a that was such a cool that was such a cool summer, but really working with Catherine Bigelow, I think is like almost it, it no, it's not almost, it is bucket list material. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that leads up to 2018. There were two big movies on the fall film fest circuit that people saw you in. One of them was the front runner as the daughter of Gary Hart, I believe is the, uh, and then also beautiful boy as the girlfriend of the drug addicted character played by Timothy Chalamet. And I just remember feeling so awful about the, what you're watching your character. It's like in a slow motion train, train wreck happening. Um, but I guess it seems like you and Timothy and, and actually you've worked with a lot of this, this wave of young people, whether it was Ansel Elgort with Spectacular Now or any number of the, the, you know, sort of your contemporaries who have really blown up in the last couple of years. I guess it sounds like Timothy was somebody you enjoyed working with. He, I love Timothy. He's, he's the most talented person in the world. I think he's just, I think the world of Timothy, I think he's so incredibly talented. You know, we worked, I met him, I had known him since I was 16 because we did men, women, and children. And right. Yeah. He, he's just, He's always he's always been the best. He has n- never changed, and he's he's only just getting better with age. <laughs> I guess not really age because we're still young here. But um, no, he's just he's just um, I'm I'm always going to be in awe of him. He's he's always surprising me with his work, and doing doing that with him was such a fun little trip to San Francisco, and. Uh, it was, it was just, it was like, we were like living in our, I was like, you know, living in the San Francisco world for like two weeks. And I was so happy to be able to do that kind of movie with him because it was so, again, another, another heavy film, another intense character to, to play. And I was so glad to have a real, like genuine friend with me on that journey. It was so fun. Okay, so this brings us up to what must have been a pretty insane last year 
for you. And let's start with one of the the first of the two big projects, Amy, the brilliant young lesbian high school senior in Olivia Wilde's directorial debut, Booksmart. People may not realize that you were attached to this, though, years before Olivia or Beanie Feldstein or just about anyone else. And I wonder, how did it first cross your radar and why did it take so long to come to fruition? Yeah, I genuinely think, I mean, we talk about this a lot, but I genuinely think society just had to catch up with it. And I read it, I guess now, six years ago, but when we made it, I had read it five years, four or five years prior. It was a script that I immediately fell in love with and also immediately thought, oh, well, this is going to someone else. (laughs) Um, Just because you hadn't really necessarily played the lead in something before? Oh, yeah, exactly. It was, it was, I was, you know, I kept, I kept running into this problem, this, this, this problem of, you know, wanting to do these, these, these roles in these movies and, and people telling me I couldn't because I hadn't before, mm-hmm. which I understand. But then I'm like, all right, so then how do I cross <laughs> that step of then doing it so that I have, 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 have done it before. Right. Um, <laughs> and Annapurna and everyone on that team were the, were the people that said, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll be those people and we'll, we'll take a, we'll take a chance on you. Um, Cause you'd already dealt with them on Detroit. Is that how they knew you? I think, well, I, yes, I guess so. It was, I knew that Booksmart was still happening at the time, but then Detroit happened. And yes, I did know all of the Annapurna peeps when I went in for my <laughs> audition. But yeah, I, I, you know, it was a script that I just, I knew needed to be made. And I just loved it from the very moment I read it. But again, it was like it, that, that, that feeling of, well, okay, I do love this, this role, Amy, this, this, and, and Molly and Amy's friendship. Um, but I, I, I was kind of negative about it just because I thought, oh, well, I don't know. I, I don't think they'll, you know, I don't, I don't know. I just, I, I wasn't sure. And I went into a, a meeting with Annapurna and they, they told me right then and there, I was expecting to, you know, go on five auditions to, to play Amy and, and, and fight, fight, fight for it. And Mm -hmm. it's, they just, they just told me that they wanted me to play Amy right in that meeting. And I, that was the first time that it ever happened. And they just, I don't know. It was just such a, just right then and there, that's what happened. And, uh, and then from that moment on the project, um, you know, then, then I guess, I think two years, it was two years later that Olivia came on and then I was in a meeting, my first meeting with Olivia Wilde, and she said, this movie cannot be made without Beanie Feldstein as your <laughs> as your partner in crime. And I about fell over because I am in love with her and I love Lady Bird. And we had the greatest time on that movie. And I was so excited that it, that it just got made. And then now it's made me even more excited to see the love that it just continually gets is just mind-blowing to me and it just it's so special i can't even begin well i to think say. people should also realize it's not like this was a big budget movie i think and and you guys shot it in 26 days from what i've read and you know as we said olivia's first time really at the helm and it seems like she honed in on something maybe from her own experience as as an actress that 
help to foster your and Beanie's chemistry? It sounds like you guys would have gotten along anyway, but this really just uh, different things I've read about, like sending you out on different fun things to do together. And then I guess it was your idea that maybe also live together during the shoot, just stuff like that. Do you think that the fact that she's also an actress herself, Olivia, you know, makes her a, a different sort of director for you than people who aren't? I, th- I definitely think so. I think there's, you know, when I think having been an actor, she just has such a, a an amazing understanding of, of, of what that's like. And, and she refers to movie sets and film sets as like basically construction sites. There's just so much going on all the time. And it actually is really hard to, to focus on, on then, okay, you're, you're, you're in the van and then you're out of the van and you're brought to set. And then you have people touching, touching you up and hair and makeup people fixing your hair. And then there's all this other stuff going on. And then you're supposed to like do a, a scene where you're yelling at your best friend and, and it's the most upsetting thing that has ever happened to you in the, in, in, or happened to your character in their life. And so it's, it's just, it's just a lot. And I think she has, that's one thing that she really, I mean, one of many things that she really, really gets is how, how chaotic a set can be. And she is able to really, really take care of all of her actors because of that, I think. And she's also just been on so many different sets and she's been able to really pull from the good and the bad and create sort of the, the, best set you could possibly be on it was literally the best it was literally like summer camp um (laughs) but the best summer camp you've ever been to kind of kind of movie set it really was just oh my god it was so much fun and and it was all it was that was because of Liv she 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 had snacks everywhere she had music going everyone was just hanging out because they wanted to ever there were a lot of people who were who had been wrapped and they were like all right you can go home now and people still wouldn't go home (laughs) (laughs) well I think it was um it's interesting that you and Beanie I think both went off from that project to do the first films that you solo or first projects really that you solo were the leads of. Yeah. And I wonder, you know, it sounds like you heard about yours, which is unbelievable. The limited series in which you're playing this young woman, Marie Adler, who's charged with um, lying about being raped. Uh, It sounds like you went, you heard about that towards the end of Booksmart. So I guess if you can share about how you know the difference with the with Booksmart had been years to think about what you were going to do with that. Now you've got a pretty quick turnaround to play what's got to be the heaviest character you've ever played, and just if you can connect the dots from catching wind of this at the end of Booksmart to actually going to work playing this this very dark story. Yeah, it again. Yeah, it really was just a. It it threw me that one because it it came into my life very very quickly. It um it came in actually to my email inbox on my last week of filming Booksmart, and you're very right by saying like there was so much lead up time for Booksmart, and there was so much anticipation for shooting that movie, and I just wanted it. I just wanted it to be made so bad, and then it finally was being made. And I'm like, oh, this is so much fun, and I got so caught up and distracted and just how how much fun i was having making booksmart and then 
towards like the ending of the shoot, I started getting the classic actor panic, which is basically just me worrying about, okay, what the heck am I going to be working on next? Because I have nothing to work on. <laughs> and there are so many, this was such a high and I'm getting, I was getting myself ready for a low and to not work. Um, Cause that's just, that's literally just what happens all the time. There's, you just, you get through a lot of work and then sometimes you just don't work at all. And so this came at such a, a very convenient time, but also mm -hmm. it was the most um, heartbreaking story I had ever read. And I remember going over my audition, you know, while I was still, you know, doing, you know, filming Booksmart. And then I would go over my audition and it, that was kind of a, a juggle as well. But I'd say the short, the, the, the audition for Short Term 12 and also the audition for Unbelievable were the two hardest auditions I've ever had in my life. And um, I knew that I wanted to work. I had been dying to work with Toni Collette my entire life. She, I saw her in The Sixth Sense um, when, I, when I was nine or ten. And I remember thinking that that was really the moment where I was like, this is exactly what I want to be doing. This is whatever she is doing. That is what I want to do. And so I thought, oh, I have to, I, I'm, I am dying to work with Tony Collette and Merritt Weaver and everyone involved in the project. There were the, some producers from Justified were producing Unbelievable. And, um, it was just the hardest, the hardest role I've ever had to play, but playing Marie Adler, it was so, it, it was so rewarding. It was so, it felt so good to be a part of something like that and something that was so so incredibly port important and and you know I think we we say a lot that it is a very relevant story it's a very timely story but it actually you know sexual assault is actually something that has been going on forever and ever and ever and it's been such an issue for such a long time that affects people for the rest of their lives and it's something that I think we've sort of you know, forgotten about. And we also haven't seen this kind of story done in this way. So when I was signing on to do it, there were so many things that were just so moving to me. One of them being the fact that the, the creatives wanted to shoot the sexual assault scene from Marie's point of view. And I think, you know, while it's really, really, you know, heartbreaking and hard to watch it's it's there are so many elements to the story that that allowed people to really um think about sexual assault in a very different way and to learn from it and so it feels really good to 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 know that it's impacted people in a really big way and that people are really really learning from it and also i i you know just the prep alone was I I sort of just had to forget about myself and and know that I was I was doing this. We were we were all doing this for Marie and and to tell her story in the best way possible. And I think it was just totally worth it. Totally worth it. Yeah. Can you talk about? I mean, I guess was it an option to to meet with the real Marie? Was that something you wanted to do or were able to do? I, I wondered because I could see the pros and cons of of that. Yeah, I it's something I I did bring up to Susanna Grant and Lisa Cholodenko, our director. Um and it 
you know, it, uh, well, Susanna Grant also directed the last two episodes and she's just a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant human. Um, I talked to them about the idea of doing that and we had a discussion about it and I, I, you know, it was so clear to me how much of a privilege it was that Marie was even allowing us to tell her story in, in such a big way. And this is again, something that is still, you know, she's still alive and out in the world. And I just, I, I feel like, you know, obviously this is something that affects someone for the rest of their life. And I, I was, I, I wanted to be very careful of that and, and to know how, how incredibly hard it must be to just, just think about it, to talk about it. Um, and so for that reason, I decided that I, it was, I, I had a lot of, I had a lot of information about Marie and a lot of source material on, on her. And so I felt like I had enough as an actor to be able to dive in. And I just, I really just wanted to do what she was comfortable with. And, and that was really all that mattered to me. Um, yeah. So when you, when you now went to work actually shooting this thing, I was really curious how that logistically worked because I don't think you've ever necessarily bitten off that much at once. Yeah. You've done TV series that you're part of for years and years, but not in such a short amount of time having to do so much where you're in essentially almost every scene. And I just wonder, is it done episode by episode? Is it done in sequence? How do you, do you have to like basically chart out your whole character development? I I wondered about that watching it. It was really interesting to, to try to plan something (laughs) <laughs> and I, I tried and I think I quickly learned that I, it was, there was no use in planning. There was, there is, cause there is no set formula, um, to be able to do something like that. It was really cool. I will just have to, I, I, I just want to say that it was really cool to be able to, you know, lead a film like book smart with with one of my best friends Beanie Feldstein and and for the two of us to be able to like hold each other's hand and to to have um each other's backs hardcore and then to go on you know she went on to do how to build a girl um which is out May 8th and um <laughs> um and and I went on to do unbelievable and it was just very very special but yeah, preparing for that and trying to think of, of you know the, the the best way to go go about it. It really was just really what was just important to me was was just making sure I was keeping Marie as the priority and thinking about what she went through and 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 trusting what I, what I had done, trusting the, the work I had put in and the prep I had put in prior to filming. I, I put a lot of pressure on myself, so much pressure on myself that I, that I would get really, really nervous because I just, I, I didn't want to screw it up for her. I didn't, I thought like these people are giving me this opportunity, like wow, I cannot take it for granted and I have to do this I have to do this right for her. So it was really all about just I really just keeping that in check and 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 remembering that whatever headache I have from crying all day and 
how, how, you know, how exhausted I am at the end of a work day. It doesn't even compare to what she, she felt in real life. And then also just accidentally too, I wasn't planning on staying in it, but I really, I really did stay in it. And by in it, I mean, staying in the emotion of it all. And I stayed in that same mental state for the four months we were shooting the show for. And I really didn't mean to, I am not one to do method acting. I don't, I, I am such a goof on set (laughs) and I still was, but I remember feeling everything so intensely during that time and, and really allowing myself to stay in it. Cause again, I just felt like I, this is happening for a reason. I just need to go with it. I think it was a lot of that too. It was a lot of just like going with it and, and trusting myself on that one. Was there one day, one scene that you particularly found the most challenging for you? Yeah, I think it, oh man. I mean, a lot of days were really, really challenging a lot I think it was, I think the hardest part of the whole series was the first three episodes, just because there's just so much going on in Marie's life at that point that we were shooting all of those intense, intense scenes. I think the day we were at the, um, we were shooting at the police station and I was doing all of my... Uh, interviews with the detectives those the, the, the that was probably like one of the more exhausting couple of days out of the entire shoot cuz i mm. it it was a lot and it was also just a lot of like emotional curveballs that were being thrown at me like this was another cool thing about doing the show is that there were a lot of there were so many incredible actors i was working with that there were a lot of like surprising things that were that were happening, like, uh, I guess things that I had, had, or ways I had expected to feel during a certain scene and then feeling a completely different way just because of how I was, I was, how, how the actor was acting. And it was so cool to be able to, to then shift what I had originally thought was going to be the the way it was going to go and then completely shift the way I was doing it. And it for actually, it, it actually being for the better because it, it was so authentic and real and organic, but it was though the detective scenes were very, very, those were really hard days. I think we, we carved out like two days to do all of them. And it was a lot. It was, wow. yeah, I remember, I remember those, I remember all the drives home. So that's the, I remember my, yeah. my me driving home from from those days and just feeling like I have like a weight of bricks or like like so like a ton of bricks just like off of my body and um, my face is sore and and, and <laughs> from crying and it was, it was intense it was intense. I mean, the thing that people say about that series now is that they had never really seen anything like it right there was to have it from the perspective of the of the victim and the survivor however you describe what she's been through and and i guess the other thing though is that it's clarified or it's it's forced people to think about their idea of what it means to you know how they think about people who come forward with these kinds of allegations and may not you know there may be some 
behavior that to you or I or to the average person may not seem to to line up in fully. But I guess maybe if you just want, I wondered if you wanted to just close the unbelievable portion here by just saying, you know, what you hope people take away from this in terms of understanding why that might be for, for someone in that position. Yeah, I think we haven't, as a, as, a, as a society, we haven't really been properly educated how trauma can affect someone in, in, such, a, in such an insane way, but also how trauma affects people very, very, very differently. And there is no, there is no one set reaction. Everyone reacts to trauma differently because of how, you know, they've been brought up or, or many different ways. It's just, there is, there is no, there is no set reaction. And, and, uh, I think that that is one big thing that I have, that I have taken away. One of the many things that I have taken away from being a part of this experience, um, but we must, I mean, all I can say is that we just really, really, we, we must start believing survivors from the very beginning and, and not just, you know, set it aside. It needs to be talked about. It needs to be talked about. All right. So with our last minute, I just want to end on a happier <laughs> yeah. subject, which is where, you know, where you find yourself at this point, having had this incredible year and maybe, you know, I think people in the business and and people who cover it like me we've known about you for for years but i think now a lot of other people are are catching on and so i wonder how you've handled all this whether it's golden globe nomination day or golden globe night or just generally now i imagine you go out and you know maybe not during coronavirus but prior to coronavirus <laughs> yes, you go prior. out to the store <laughs> people probably i would imagine probably a lot more people recognize you have something to say maybe it's I don't know if that's always fun but just how how are how have things been different since the world has gotten to see these two projects in which you've gotten to be front and center for the first time it's been like last year in particular was such a it was such a whirl whirlwind experience and Everything that I had that I had hoped for for for, for those two projects um, and more happened. Like every, the the amount of love that I was seeing for both of them at the same time was just a lot. It was over. It was really, really, really overwhelming. And yeah, going to you know the Golden Globes for the first time was so overwhelming. I think the the. I mean, I think the biggest thing for me is that I'm just getting to interact and and talk to people that I really 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 look up to and I think that you know it's it's amazing that I get to you know see all of my favorite actors in movies and and learn from them in that way but then if I get to like meet them and and talk to them and for some of them to even reach out to me you know I've had some people like reach out to me that I have like literally looked up to forever that have told me they had just seen Booksmart or they just watched Unbelievable, they just binged Unbelievable on Netflix. And it's so mind boggling to me. I mean, I, I, I Malala reached out to me and Beanie <laughs> over Twitter and then like, what else, what else do I need to do with my life? I can retire <laughs> now. Or like Tom Hanks came up to me, came up to me at the Golden Globes, <laughs> was walking past me and just said hello 
and talk to me for five minutes. And I, I don't know. I, I, that is that alone. I don't even, it's still, I, I think I'm still processing it is what I'm trying to say. That is what I'm trying to say. I'm still yeah. processing it. <laughs> I'm, I'm, yeah, it's, it's all, it's the, the come down is happening and I'm doing a lot of reflecting and I'm, I'm being forced to reflect even more because of this quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> well, but it's will, been so I just cool. End by saying that, uh, you know, it's been really fun. I, I've not been doing this that long. So to be able to say that I've seen somebody's whole career is a new thing for me to, to say that I've covered and watched their whole career. And that's been fun. And even I, I doubt you'll, you'll remember this, but I, I remember moderating a Q&A. This was about five or six years ago in Sherman Oaks at the Arclight related to Birdman. And I believe you and it maybe was your sister came up to me afterwards and I had a little chat at that point. And I was just <laughs> my thing is I I've I was impressed not only with your acting, but with just like you've you've handled this all so impressively. So I'm just happy that it's all seems to be coming together. And it's it's been I didn't get to say that to you during this Oscar season, which bothered me because I kept seeing Olivia, but not you. No. But, uh, so anyway, just congratulations and, and keep it up. Enjoy it. Thank you so much. This has been, uh, I I just want to say thank you to you because you're just, you've always been such a supporter of me and, and everything that I've done and you're just the best. And I've really enjoyed this talk. It's been uh, really uh, nice. My pleasure. Well, stay safe out there and uh, hopefully we'll all get, get back to work soon. Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, you take care. Thanks again. Bye. Thanks very much for tuning in to Awards Chatter. We really appreciate you taking the time to do that and would really appreciate you taking a minute more to subscribe to our podcast for free on iTunes or your podcast app and to leave us a rating as well. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can reach me via Twitter at twitter.com slash Scott Feinberg. And you can follow all of my coverage between episodes at thr.com slash the race. Finally, be sure to check out the other podcasts that are part of the Hollywood Reporters Podcast Network all of which are excellent. Leslie Goldberg and Daniel Feinberg's TV's Top 5, Seth Abramovich and Chip Pope's It Happened in Hollywood, Carolyn Giardina's Behind the Screen, and Josh Wiggler's Series Regular. On behalf of all of us at The Hollywood Reporter, thanks for tuning in. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.